This past April, or a year ago April, my daughter Bonnie gave me a, a book on Fred Rogers. It's, it's an excellent read. I really enjoyed reading it. And I was encouraged to, by his life, to do some more research about what does it mean to be a neighbor. So this morning we are starting a new sermon series entitled, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I trust that everybody has a bulletin because we're doing something a little different this morning. If you don't have a bulletin, just raise your hand because on the back of the bulletin is our scripture verse. And I'm doing um, what you call um, uh, preaching by sermon points, preaching by uh, scripture points. So you'll see the highlighted points that I'm going to use in my message this morning. Before we get to Luke chapter 10, as you're getting your bulletins on the back, make sure you can follow along with the uh, preaching points. It was two weeks ago, May 2nd, Sunday. I don't know if anybody saw on the news, but there was a horrific five-car accident in Maryland where it left a truck, like Bobby's back there, a truck teetering over a guardrail, guardrail on a bridge with the bay 25 feet below. It was a horrific scene just watching this truck teeter. One of the persons involved in the accident, Jonathan Bauer, got out, saw the truck, immediately ran over and looked over the guardrail, and there in the bay was floating a child seat, car seat, some other debris, and then he saw a little girl, and I believe it, she was in a pink dress, just floating. Being afraid of heights at that time didn't matter to him. He just jumped 25 feet into the bay. He scooped up this little girl, put her on his shoulder, and started to just pat her aggressively on the back. Soon she spit up some water, coughed, and started breathing. Boats that saw the accident came to the scene he handed her over to one of the boaters that took her to the shore to the EMS. That following Friday, the mayor at a press conference, the mayor of Ocean City, Maryland, declared Jonathan a good Samaritan and a humble hero. Now, as I was thinking of that story, Usually the title of a good Samaritan is given because of a simple, kind, random act of kindness. And I was thinking of being a good Samaritan. Really, being a good Samaritan is different than being a good neighbor. Sometimes we think being a good neighbor is just a simple, random act of kindness. But how many know being a good neighbor goes a lot deeper than just waving at your neighbor and saying, good morning, hello. So today we're going to go a little bit deeper in being a good neighbor, how a good neighbor differs from being a good Samaritan. It was Jesus who termed, who gave the term good Samaritan. 
in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, he gives a story that's based upon a question that was asked. The question was simply asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus went into this story, this parable. Before we go into the story, though, it's very important to get the context of why he told the story. So looking at verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, it says, On one occasion, an expert of the law, or a lawyer, it says, stood up. Now, I'm going to stop there, because you need to understand something, the way or the form of rabbinical teaching. Rabbinical teaching is different than how we teach today. Usually, the teacher stands and the students sit. But in rabbinical form of teaching, it was the teacher who sat and the students who stood. However, when this expert of the law stood, he didn't stand to learn. He stood, the scripture says, to what? He stood to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I think it's real interesting that Jesus says back to him, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Now, how did Jesus respond to this man's question? How did he respond? With questions of his own. And once again, understanding the different form of rabbinical teaching, the highest form of rabbinical teaching was by asking questions. Now, I just want to pause for a moment, and I want you to ponder this thought about questions. Usually, when we share our life, usually when we share our testimony to someone... It's usually about, well, God did this for me, and God did that for me, and God did this, and you wouldn't believe how God moved in my life. And before you know it, as we're telling our story, it's all about what God has done in our life. And without even knowing it, what we do so many times is we put ourselves way up here, and the person we're talking to feels way down here. So my question is, maybe instead of telling all that God has done for us, and how great God has been in our life. Maybe when we share our story, maybe we need to ask more questions to the person who's listening. And by asking questions, that makes them feel valuable. That makes them feel important. And it sort of levels out the playing ground. What's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In studying this passage of Scripture, I learned that the Jews would recite a summation of the whole law. Twice a day, they would just recite a summation of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And actually, I, I think that's something that's pretty good to do. We, sh we should recite that to ourselves twice a day. But as I took a look at this, 
I found something very interesting that Jesus does here. What comes first? Love your God. And then love your neighbor. But what's really interesting here is it's reversed of the canonical order. Because when Jesus says, uh, when the guy answers, love your, love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, he, he's quoting what? Deuteronomies chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. And then when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Now, canonical, if you know your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Actually, in the Bible, love your neighbor comes first before love your God. But when Jesus summarizes the law, he flips it and says what? To love God first and then to love your neighbor. Why do you think he does that? He does that because he realizes that your vertical relationship with him, the vertical relationship of him is of utmost importance for your horizontal relationship. How can you love one another if you don't love him first? Everything that flows out of us comes from a vertical relationship. As we love God, as he fills us with joy, as he gives us peace, that overflow then is able to extend to our horizontal relationships. How is it possible to love your enemy? Humanly, it's not. But if your vertical relationship is in line to what God wants it to be, out of that vertical relationship flows a love where you're able to extend a hand to your enemy. Remember in Matthew chapter 25, the separation of the sheep and the goat? He puts the sheep on the right-hand side, the goats on the left-hand side, and he says to the ones on the right, blessed are you. You are blessed by the Father. Come on, somebody. Don't you want to be blessed by the Father? Blessed are you. For when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When you were thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you took me in. When I needed clothing, you gave me something to wear. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And the ones on the right said, Lord, we didn't know we did that to you. And what did Jesus say? Whatever you did unto one of the least of these, you did unto me. What is he saying? He's saying there that your vertical relationship, how you treat one another, is a reflection of your, your horizontal relationship, of how you treat one another, is a reflection of your vertical relationship. How we treat our brothers and sisters, how we treat our neighbors, is a reflection of our relationship with God. Jesus says to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, can I say something about this young expert uh, in the law? When Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live, he should have just walked away. <laughs> he, he should have just stopped and said, thank you, and walked away. But this expert in the law 
was looking for something a little more. You know what he was looking for? He was looking for a that-a-boy. He was looking for words of affirmation. He was work, looking for a, a pat on the back. He was working, looking for Jesus to say, hey man, you're, you're doing a great job. But it says in verse 29, he wanted to what? Justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And I think he was expecting Jesus to say, those who are you reaching out to? Those who are you're, you're loving? Those who you're extending your love to? You're, you're doing a great job, that a boy. But Jesus doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus draws a circle that is so big of who our neighbor is. He draws a circle so big that not only does he challenge his audience, but it becomes scandalous to them. And he sets up his parable. He gives something that's very familiar to his listeners. He says, uh, a man was going down from Jerusalem. Whenever you're at Jerusalem, you always go down because Jerusalem's up on a hill. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's about a 17 to 18 mile trek hike down the mountain. A very dangerous trip. A lot of curves, a lot of bends. There's, there's points where it drops off 300 feet. There's caves where thieves and robbers hide. It's, it's known as a dangerous trail. And once you know it, what was predicted happened. As this man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, he was attacked by robbers. Not only did they take his wallet, they stripped him of his clothes and they beat him and left him half dead. Now, can I be honest? I, I can't identify with being beaten. It's never happened. But I can identify with being robbed. I remember many years ago when we lived in Clifton, I went out to get the morning paper. I looked up and I saw the windows of my car broken. Where they Remember when it was popular to break into cars to steal radios? And it happened twice. I don't know if your car's ever been broken into or your house has ever been broken into. You, you just feel personally violated. How dare they? And as he laid along the side of the road in dire need, desperate for help, Scripture says it, it just so happens. Jesus in his story says a, a priest happened to be going down the same road. A priest. A religious man just happened 
to be walking down. Now, if this man was conscious, the one who laid alongside the road, maybe his vision was a little blurry, but I'm sure that as he saw someone coming near him, don't you think his heart started to beat a little faster? Maybe, maybe there was a little, oh man, there's hope. Look at someone's coming. I hear footsteps. And then as that person got a little closer, and this one alongside the road could see, here, here it is, a priest. You know, maybe, just maybe, the man laying alongside the road started humming to himself, this is the day, this is the day. And it says that the man passed, the priest passed on the opposite side. My question to you is, have you ever been surprised by who didn't help you in the time of need? Have you ever had a friend that you thought that if you ever got in a bad place, that if you were ever in need, that this one would come to your rescue, this one would come to your help. And when you found yourself in need, when you were hurting, this friend just walked right by. Has that ever happened? And how do you feel? But then let me ask you another question. How many people have you walked by who were hurting and in need? What about the people you didn't even notice? You didn't even pause. You didn't even stop. When was the last time you inconvenienced yourself to help someone in trouble, or who is hurting. Man, it's a lot harder to put ourselves in the place of the priest, isn't it? We can all identify with a man lying alongside the road, no one came to help me, no one came to my rescue. <laughs> but none of us put ourselves in the place of the priest. Why? Well, there's a phenomenon that's called illusionary superiority. And it's a condition of cognitive bias. That whenever we compare ourselves, whenever we judge, we always judge ourselves differently, don't we? When we look at others, we based our judgment on their traits on their circumstances, on their character. But when we judge ourselves, you know how we usually judge ourselves? We judge ourselves on intent and desire. If, if there's good intention and there's good desire, then we just say, hey, we're good people. Even though we may not carry out those intentions, even though we may not carry out those desires, we judge ourselves on intentions and desires. Lord, help us, right? God, bring conviction to our souls for the time that we have passed others by who are hurting, who are in need. 
But now, for the priest, it's not as simple as we're making it. If the priest were to go over and touch that man, he would defile himself, which meant he would have to go back to Jerusalem and quarantine himself. Well, we've had enough quarantining, haven't we? (laughs) And he would be declared defiled, unclean, and have to go through a week of ceremonial washings. And if he went over and even touched that man, and, and didn't declare himself unclean, someone else could declare him as unclean, which meant that he could be stoned to death. So there's all kinds of complications. There's all kinds of reasons. There's all kinds of excuses. And don't we do that all the time? We see someone hurting. We see someone in need. And before you know it, we're making a bunch of excuses why we can't help. He passed on the other side. So too a Levite came. Now in the order of temple service, you had the priests, and then you had the Levites. The Levites, the priests were Levites, and then you had the Levites were like the assistants to the priests. So he comes by. He's an assistant. To the, it's sort of like this. His boss has just passed by, He's looked at the situations, he's evaluated the situation, and he decides, you know what, I, I'm not going to touch it. His assistant now comes by and says, hey, my boss was in front of me. He must have looked at this situation. He set the precedence, so I'm not going to do it. Excuses again, because he knows if he does help this man, brings him into town, the boss is going to say, what are you doing? I passed him by for a reason. And he didn't want to have troubles with his boss. So then in the temple service, you had the priests, you had the Levites, and then you had the wise Jewish layman. And as Jesus is giving a story that is very familiar to the people, who are the people thinking the next one to come by? The priest, the Levite, now they think that this wise Jewish layman is going to come by. And Jesus throws him a curveball, and he says, and now, but a Samaritan comes. Now, to say that Samaritans and Jews were enemies, that's an understatement. In fact, when Jewish people would go up to Jerusalem, they would take a two-mile bypass around Samaria so they didn't have to walk through Samaria just to get Jerusalem. There was a great hatred. And Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, boiled oil and wine, Then he put the man on his donkey and brought him into an inn and took care of him. Then the next day he took out two silver coins, two denarii, and and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense he may incur. He gave of himself. He gave of his own resources. He gave all he had. He took a risk. Could you imagine a Samaritan 
coming in to Jerusalem, into Jericho, a, a Jewish town, with a half-naked man. Here's a man who had all the excuses in the world, but he didn't allow his excuses from helping the one in need. And then what I find is so interesting. Jesus asks the expert of the law, which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Jesus was asked a question. He really never answers it. He tells a story and then he puts it back on the one who asked the question to answer it himself. And the expert of the law says, the one who had mercy on him. And then what did Jesus tell him to do? Come on. Come on, say everybody. What did Jesus tell him to do? Go do likewise. There's something that has burdened my heart for over a year, but I couldn't address it because of COVID. But as we are starting to get in a better state, I want to challenge you. Number one, how to be a good neighbor. You ready for the fill-ins? It's real simple. Fill-in number one, cross the street. Cross the street. I'm guilty when I see my neighbors across the street. Hi. Morning. How are you? And you say, how are you, just to be polite, but you never cross the street to find out how they're really doing. And it's just being a good Samaritan. But something happens when you cross the street and you step on their turf. You step on their property. You step on their land. You step on their pavement. Let me say this. Not so much cross the street. But how about crossing the aisle. How about stepping out of the section you normally sit in, crossing an aisle or two into a section where somebody else is. I'm amazed at how many people in our own church don't know one another by name. And you say, well, pastor, it's a big, no, we're not a big church. We're a church of a couple hundred now, I understand why some people in the first service don't know people in the second service, and some people in the second service don't know people in the first service. I understand that. But when you break it down of a church of about 200 and maybe 80 to 90 people in the first service, you should know everybody's name. Being a good neighbor is more than just waving in the parking lot or waving on your way out. Being a good neighbor is stepping over the aisle into another section. And sometimes it's real simple. Hey, I, I've seen you sitting over there for a number of years now, and I, I, I don't even know your name. Forgive me. Hi, I'm Denise. Hi, I'm Pastor Jeff. Hi, I'm Pete. I'm Dominic. Secondly, 
Share your life. Share your life. It was this past fall. I went out for my Saturday morning coffee and I saw our neighbor, one right next to us. They were putting signs up. Their son, uh, Luke, was having a birthday party, his fourth birthday party, putting balloons up, putting signs up. I went, got my coffee. I came home. I said, hey, our, our neighbor, this, their, their son's having a birthday party. I think we should buy him a present. So we went and got some of these Lego blocks, really cool blocks, a whole big bin of them, and took them, wrapped them up. We knocked on the door. I said, hey, we, we just see your son's having a birthday party today and, and uh, just wanted to give him a present. That evening, a knock comes on the door. The mother comes with a plate of delicious cupcakes. Oh, yeah. And what is it doing? It's just sharing life. Being more than just a good Samaritan, one random act of kindness, but sharing life. Number three, don't look to one, don't look to one as a mission to accomplish. Don't look to one as a mission to accomplish, but look to one as a relationship to cultivate. What do I mean by that? Many years ago, I was talking to this individual. I said, hey, how, how did you come to know the Lord? I was at work, and this person started to witness to me and started to tell me about Jesus, invited me to church, and after a series of events, I started coming to church. I, I gave my heart to the Lord. And he said, but then I noticed that this one person, and I said, you're welcome. I was just being a good Samaritan. I wasn't being a neighbor. And I realized at that point, I blew it. Here she thanks me, and all I needed to do was cross the street, share my life, and say, hey, I've been here in 19 years. I know you've lived here a while, and I feel bad that I don't even know your name. Sometimes it's real simple. To be a neighbor. And a neighbor is more than just being a good Samaritan. That night, I went to bed realizing I was just a good Samaritan. God, forgive me because I want to be a good neighbor. Don't you? Let us pray. Father, throughout the next few weeks, as we talk about, won't you be my neighbor? Lord, I know that there are people who are lonely, who are hurting, who are in need. And Lord, we tend to make excuses Reasons why we can't or shouldn't. We never cross the aisle. We never venture into another section. We never cross the street. We just wave. And God, I believe you are calling us to community. To put names to faces 
that we have seen for a long time. Lord, challenge us over these next weeks to be more than just good Samaritans in our own church, but to be good neighbors, to go a little deeper, to share our life, to cultivate relationships. Lord, even let it begin today. May we go up to one and say, hey, man, I know and I've seen you for years, but I just know you by face, and I know your face has a name. Lord, help us to value one another like you value us. In the name of Jesus, I ask all these things. Amen and amen.